Welcome back to the Goose in the Morning Show. I'm your host, Coach Goose. Uh, man, I want to apologize. It's been two weeks since the last episode dropped, and it it feels like a lot has happened. And that's probably because a lot has happened. Uh, to to begin, I get married next weekend, so I'm super excited. I'm thrilled. Uh, it, it's it's been a crazy 10 months. We got engaged this past October and it's really weird. It feels like we've been, it feels like the engagement was last month, but it also at the same time feels like we've been engaged for a really long time. And I guess that's probably because there's been a lot that's happened. So we got engaged in the middle of October and then we moved from Oklahoma to Tennessee. Then we changed jobs. We got jobs here local to Tennessee so probably those big life events have contributed to it feeling like we've been in, we've been engaged for so long but then the the normal rapid pace of time as you get older it makes it feel like it was just yesterday it's a really weird phenomenon it's a really weird experience but we're here next week is my wedding and uh, the reason I bring all that up is over the past two weeks, so two weeks ago, I had my bachelor party, and we flew back to, or I flew back to Oklahoma, and I was with seven of my friends, there were eight of us total, and we went and got a lake house, and we just hung out on the lake for three days, and we were all vaccinated, so no problem there, and we wanted to do something that we knew we would be able to distance ourselves from other people, we didn't want to be in big crowds of people, so we chose the lake, get on the boat, get on the jet ski, hang out in the house, just do our thing. Well, despite being vaccinated and when I was in the airport, um, I was masked up. I still got COVID. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was from the airport. And my best bet is that I touched something and I either rubbed my eyes or I did buy a snack like an idiot. And so I had to take my mask off. And so while I was eating, obviously... I either touched my mouth or I rubbed my nose or, or I, I did something. I had COVID on my hands more than likely. And then I touched my face in some, in some way. So I got COVID and, um, so I was dealing with that. Symptoms didn't come up until Monday. So I got back on Sunday and then Monday I kind of started feeling a little puny. And then by Monday evening, the fever had set in and I was generally just kind of feeling like crap. So my symptoms lasted for two or three days came with loss of uh, loss of taste, loss of smell, which was really weird. It was just a, a really bizarre feeling. Um, one of my favorite snacks is yogurt, vanilla yogurt, uh, Greek yogurt and peanut butter. I, I just love the, the texture combination and, and, and the flavors. It's great. And so I went and I, I had my fiance drop off <laughs> I had her drop off the, the yogurt and the peanut butter. And uh, when I started eating it, I just, I couldn't taste anything, but I could feel the coldness of the yogurt. I could feel the, um, the, the texture of the peanut butter. It was weird. I mean, everything, everything else was there, obviously, but the taste wasn't really bizarre. I also had a sandwich that had a bunch of horseradish on it and couldn't taste the horseradish. Couldn't even feel it in my sinuses. Really bizarre, um, but, but I feel great now. I'm still in quarantine, mainly because we're waiting on my PCR test to come back. So I, they gave us a couple recommendations, 
um, they said, hey, you can be in quarantine for 10 days. And if uh, at the end of the 10 days you have no symptoms and you've been fever-free for 24 hours, you can exit quarantine. Um, or you can stay in quarantine until you have a negative PCR. I think it's two negative PCR tests. Um, so this is the first of my my... This is the first of my PCR tests. I'm taking another one on Tuesday, uh, but I've had two negative rapid tests, which is um, which is great. I mean, that, that that brings some optimism. The reason we're doing it this way is because of the wedding. We're not wanting to take any chances with the wedding. Um, so once I get those negative PCR tests, we're going to be good to go. So all of that to say, a lot has happened in the last two weeks since I've spoken to you guys I've still been paying attention to Deep Route. I uh, just haven't had the time or the energy to really put together some material. Um, but now, here we are. I feel great. I'm symptom-free. And I'm ready to talk about our favorite football simulation. So let's dig in. And we're going to begin by looking at the AFC. Particularly the AFC East. So this is going to be the, the the division that has the San Francisco Spartans, the Chicxulub Rainbow Raptors, the Southeast Texas Rockhopper Penguins, and the Long Beach Poly Jackrabbits. Jesus Christ, guys. Can you pick longer names? Is this the division of long-ass names? My God. Um, so what we have here, <clears throat> standings-wise, we have the San Francisco Spartans atop the division, 9-3. and three. Chicxulub Rainbow Raptors are in second place. Really, they're fighting for the last wild card spot. They're seven and five. The two wild card spots are held by the Oklahoma Outlaws and the Montreal Megalodons, eight and four apiece. Uh, particularly, there's one game that I want to mention. We might talk about this a little bit more down the line, but Chicxulub and Oklahoma play in Oklahoma in week 15. So depending on how these next these next few weeks work out, that could be a really really big game with uh, with with playoff implications. So one thing to keep in mind. And then you have the Southeast Texas Rockhopper Penguins. Technically, their playoff hopes are still alive. They're six and six. Uh, they're two games out of the of the playoff picture. So they're they're needing some help, absolutely. But they're still in it. Technically, so their 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 playoff hopes are still alive. And then last but not well, well last but least, <laughs> we have the Long Beach Poly Jackrabbits at zero and zero and twelve. And uh, there was some concern that they were that they were tanking. That this has been an intentional throwaway season. Uh, the league has began investigating exactly what they were trying to do. You can look at their game logs, and you can see that as as early as week three, week four. They were playing rookies. They were playing backups. And it doesn't make any sense. They started out 0-2. And I guess if if that was the intention to tank, um, I guess you were doing it because you were 0-2. I'm not entirely sure what the logic is there. But that that is what the league is saying. These are rumors coming out of the, 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 the league office. So not entirely sure, but that has been a concern. We'll see how that plays out. But we aren't here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the rest of the division. And we're going to start with the San Francisco Spartans, a team that has really blossomed this season. By advanced metrics, they have the, well, not the best offense. For a while, they had the best offense by a success rate. Since then, they've been overtaken by Verdin. Verdin 
sitting at a cool 50% success rate, which is bonkers. But San Francisco is coming in at number two, 49.1%, which is, uh, which is crazy. So the offensive efficiency has been through the roof, and that's really been led by quarterback Palmer Townsley, who has put up a really nice stat line. 574 attempts, 378 completions for 65.9%. Basically, let's just say 66. For 3,808 yards, 10 yards of completion, 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. He's been sacked only 6 times, 94 quarterback rating. So, Townsley has really been the spearhead for this offense. He's got good size. He's 6'3", 234 pounds massive arm and one thing that he does really really well is he moves well in the pocket and he's a great athlete I mean incredibly fast he's got really good footwork now I know that in deep route quarterback rushing isn't a thing unfortunately for those who are newer to the game it used to be a part of the equation you used to have quarterbacks who actually could utilize their athleticism um I I think it was something along the lines of it was the code wasn't right, so a rushing quarterback was, was very powerful. They would average 10 yards a carry or something along those lines. It's been a long time, and I've taken intermittent breaks. I haven't played consistently, so I don't. I wasn't a part of the conversation as to why it was taking out, taken out, but that's why a, a player like Palmer Townsley isn't putting up bonkers rush numbers simply because... It's, it's not a part of the game. But one thing that we suspect that speed and, and just overall athleticism can help with is avoiding sacks. And I think Palmer Townsley is a good example of that. Uh, he's only been sacked six times. Now, San Francisco does have some offensive line talent. I'm not trying to belittle their offensive line and act like there's a lot of pressure getting through and he's having to evade pressure. No, no, that's not it at all. One thing I will say about their offensive line is that their offensive line is young. Joseph Pearson is a third-year player. Timothy Stevens is a second-year player. Frank Lewis is a second-year player. And then they do have a weakness with Mark Reynolds. Um, he's not. He's, he's a, he's a fifth-year player, but he's, he's a little on the weaker side. He's a guard. And so there's talent on that offensive line. They're not an all-pro offensive line. There's talent there, but... Still, they're doing a very good job at keeping Townsley protected. And then Townsley is doing a really good job at keeping himself protected, evading the rush, being able to throw on the run, and just efficiently drive that offense down the field. I would even go as far to say that Townsley is the type of quarterback, I think he's talented enough, that if you put him in an offense that that really maximized his abilities. And what I mean by that is just telling kind of like how uh, kind of like how Oklahoma runs their offense and and Richmond runs their offense where it's just or even you know Memphis balls to the wall throwing the ball all the time Palmer Townsley is the type of quarterback that has enough talent that he would be an MVP candidate I mean he's an incredibly talented quarterback and I I really like this the San Francisco offense with him at the helm looking at them defensively they're not a team that. How do I want to put this? So they're they're right in the middle. They're they're six. They're the sixteenth ranked offense by points allowed, and they're not a team that's going to get a whole lot of pressure. They've only had twenty four sacks 
on the season. They're not a team that have a plethora uh, or that has a plethora of rushing talent on their roster, but they get a lot of interceptions. They're good at getting turnovers, a lot of interceptions. They've had nine interceptions this season. That's good for uh, 10th. They're tied for 10th in the league. So kind of a bend don't bend but don't break defense I, I guess or maybe just an oppor- yeah, maybe opportunistic de- defense is a better way to put it so not a defensive juggernaut but they have a very efficient offense only concern is that their their, their schedule has been pretty weak uh, their their victories have a combined 37 and 69 record and if you go look at their strength of schedule they uh, they haven't had a schedule to write home about but that doesn't matter. They're playing well enough to get into the playoffs. I, I, I think they're going to win that division outright. I don't think there's going to be any late-season issues to worry about. Not with not with Palmer at at um, quarterback. And I expect to see them wild card weekend. I think as it stands right now, they're they're on a rematch. They're, they're on a path to rematch me. I think it's Oklahoma Outlaws and the San Francisco Spartans playing in the wild card round. I think that's what's slated right now. I think that's the way it's going to end up. So. We'll have to see. Chick-Shalub. Now, this is a team that could be pushing for that last wild card spot. Like I mentioned, uh, them in Southeast Texas, actually, both of them have a chance to really push for this. Southeast Texas needs a little bit more help, but both are in that, that wild card race. Prospero and Oklahoma hold both wild card spots in the AFC. Both are eight and four. Prospero just lost today. So little bit of little bit of help for Chick-Shalub, a little bit of help for um, for Southeast Texas. I think Southeast Texas also won today. Southeast Texas won. They beat the West Lafayette Boilermakers. Chick-Shalub also won. They had a very convincing win over the Las Vegas Praetorians. So they're still in it. And these are both teams, especially Chick-Shalub. I mean, I get, especially not Chick-Shalub, especially Southeast Texas. Southeast Texas is a team that was in the conference championship game last season. So Coach West, he knows what he's doing. And that's a really talented team down there in Southeast Texas. They still have Robert Giannino at quarterback. He played phenomenally in the pre in the in the postseason last year. He had a great regular season as well. He struggled a little bit this season. He's thrown 18 touchdowns, only four interceptions. He's not turning the ball over very much, but he's only completed 61% of his passes. He only has 2,587 yards, 87 quarterback rating. They also have Keith Reinschmidt on the roster, who's another talented quarterback in his own right. He hasn't seen any playtime. They've been sticking with Giannino. But they still have enough talent on this team to to be competitive. They're a dangerous team. And looking at their upcoming record, it's really favorable. Out of the division, they've had the toughest schedule so far. And looking at their four games coming up, they have Long Beach Poly. Which is an which is a home game, so I think they're going to be they're heavily favored to win that game. Then they travel to Fort Wayne. I have them favored to win that game as well. Then they are at home against Amarillo. Amarillo is a little bit tougher, but I still favor them to win that game as well. And then they have a Week 16 showdown, the yearly showdown with Chickshalub, and so that's another game that could have massive playoff implications. So I really expect uh, they're six and six now. I expect them to go into Week 16. At nine and six, and depending on how the rest of the season goes for Prospero and for Oklahoma, they could find themselves getting into the playoffs. Oklahoma and Dallas, we 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 have the big rivalry game tomorrow, and that's a that's a tough game. Dallas is on their Dallas is at the top of their game right now, and Oklahoma, we're playing good football, but 
you have to be playing excellent football to beat Dallas. I don't know if we're there yet. We're going to see. Um, but that is some. if I drop a game tomorrow, Southeast Texas is going to win tomorrow. And so that's going to put them at 7-6, and six, me at 8-5. and five. And they're going to be really closing that gap. So, and now going over to their counterparts, Chicxulub, I think they have a pretty damn hard schedule coming up. They play San Francisco tomorrow. At least it's down in Mexico. It's a home game. Uh, after that, they play Canada, who's another up-and-coming team. And they play the Oklahoma Outlaws. They travel to Oklahoma. And then they travel to Southeast Texas for a finale. So those final four games, all four of those games are against winning teams. Or at the very least, who will likely have winning records by the time they play in the case of Southeast Texas. Like I said, I expect Southeast Texas to be 9-6 and six whenever that game rolls around. So Chicxulub really has their work cut out for them. And I think Southeast Texas has an easier path to get into the playoffs. So if we're really, if we're really getting it down, I think the way that the division's going to uh, finish out is going to be San Francisco is going to win the division crown. I think Southeast Texas is going to be number two. I think that Chicxulub is going to finish number three. And then uh, Long Beach Poly, they may not win a single game this season. I, I, I think they're going to go 0-16. Um, I think that for a while there, they were intentionally playing their worst players. So, man, just play your players, bud. Play, play your guys. They're, they're going to finish number four. So, that's how I think the AFC East is going to shake out. Pretty, pretty interesting playoff race. I really like talking about the division because I think there's a really good uh, distribution of talent throughout the division. I also think that the storylines within the division are very interesting. Chicxulub and Southeast Texas with the raging rivalry. I think it's very fascinating. Um, and I, I think there's some strong teams in here. I, I, like, I, I, I think the league is better when San Francisco is putting together playoff teams. I'll say that. Coach Spartan, I love seeing him in the playoffs. I love seeing him do well. Nine and three, incredibly efficient offense. Let's go, baby. That's the AFC East. Let's move on. Let's go to the AFC North. And let's talk about Prospero, Coach Baltimore. He's back. I've already welcomed him back, I think. If not, welcome back, Coach Baltimore. Welcome back, Coach Sixth. Love having you in the league. And he's at, he's at the top of the division right now. He's 8-4, and four, but he's really fighting with Montreal. Montreal Megalodons are right there with him at 8-4. and four. The, rest of the, the rest of the division is kind of out of it. Oklahoma City Eagles, they're 5-7. and seven. Not a bad team. They have some holes. They have some young talent. But they're 5-4. and four. London, Queens Guard, they're, they're at 3-9. and nine. Um, They're really struggling this season. They have a pretty, they have a pretty tough defense. Uh, and by tough, I mean bad. <laughs> so... They're out of the playoff picture. Uh, the Oklahoma City Eagles are, are out of the playoff picture as well. I, I think at bare minimum, you you, you got to be six and six, and have a favorable um, have a favorable record to really be in the playoff picture. So Oklahoma City's out. We're going to be talking about Prospero and Montreal. Um, it, looking at the SRS, so looking at the simple rating system ratings. It's going to tell you that Montreal is a significantly better team than Prospero. Yeah, Montreal has a rating of 7.08, and Prospero has a rating of 1.94. I think part of the reason that you're, that you're seeing this disparity, because Prospero does have a lot of talent, but they've had some inconsistency at quarterback. They've really had a quarterback battle raging all season between uh, the young Juan Parsley... <laughs> 
and then the the veteran Aaron Hine, who they who they you might remember Aaron Hine is the quarterback for the Washington Qs. They obtained him in a trade, um, and, and there's been some inconsistencies. Both quarterbacks have received significant playtime. Uh, Juan Parsley has put together a stat line of about 1,800 yards, 13 touchdowns, one interception for a 99 quarterback rating, and Aaron Hine has put together a stat line of 1,700 yards, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions, higher completion percentage, higher quarterback rating, quarterback rating of 99. So I think part of the, I think part of the issue has been finding some consistent quarterback play along with, along with protecting their quarterback. Aaron Hine is the starter. They're playing Aaron Hine right now, but they have some weaknesses at guard. There's some there's some real holes in the interior offensive line, and that really showed today in their game against the Washington Qs. Aaron Hine was going up against his former team. He was sacked seven times. He had to scramble out of the pocket 17 times. So that's really, I, I think that's the biggest hole on the team. They they have some. Um, they have some decent pass rushers. They could be improved, but I don't think it's I don't think it's something that is detrimental. I, I think the number one thing that Prospero needs to focus on, and of, of course Coach Sixth is, is very aware of this, is the interior offensive line. You can't have your quarterback being under that much pressure. Aside from that, they have strong wide receiver talent. I'm looking at you, Frank Coroniti. Uh, great tight ends. They have Robert Wade there. And then manning the, the tight end two spot is Carl Silvera. He's a third-year player out of Nebraska. He was a draft pick in 21-19, second-round draft pick. He has 757 yards and four touchdowns this season. So this is an offense that really has some receiving weapons available to them. And they have good quarterbacks. I mean, Juan Parsley is still young. Aaron Hine is probably in the mid stages of his career. He's this is his 7th year, but he's not he's not a old man out there with a cane or anything like that. He can still play football. They get some interior protection, which can be hard to come by in League 21. Guards are very valuable, but if they can find a way to get some interior protection for these quarterbacks, this is a team that I could see being a legit contender as soon as next season. Obviously, they are currently slated to be in the playoffs. And the road to the playoffs isn't easy. I'll say that. So they play Oklahoma City. Then they play Dallas. Then they play North Franklin nullification. And then they play Montreal. So that's not a super easy schedule to win out. Um, and there are teams nipping at their heels. Specifically Montreal. I mean, they're, they're having to go tit for tat with Montreal. And looking at Montreal's schedule... They are favored in every single game except for Week 16 versus Prospero. Big reason for that is because it's in Prospero. It's an away game for Montreal. So I think out of the two, Prospero has the more difficult schedule. So they're going to have to make sure that they stay on their A game because not only is Montreal nipping at their heels, but Southeast Texas likely is as well. So, and and this is going to go the this is going to be the same thing for Oklahoma whenever we get to that division. I mean, there there's. This playoff race is really going to tighten up as we get closer to Week 16. But Prospero has a lot of talent on that team. I like the quarterback situation. It looks like they're sticking with Aaron Hine. And I think that might be the the, the, the better move 
If you're in win now, if you're in a win now situation, Aaron Hines your guy. If you're wanting to compete maybe two or three seasons down the road, I would probably stick with Juan Parsley. Um, don't know what, what's going to happen there. Aaron Hine is in a contract year, so we'll see if Coach Six decides to re-sign him. Um, but I, I do think that the best move, if you're trying to win right now, would be to stick with Aaron Hine. We'll see. Um, moving on to Montreal. Montreal doesn't need much introduction. Coach QD doesn't need much introduction. And just like so many seasons prior, he has put together a very, very strong offense with a rookie quarterback, Gordon Davis. Gordon Davis has thrown for over 30 touchdowns this season, seven interceptions. And one thing that is surprising, and I think this might be a reason why we haven't seen better offensive performance because I think QD at this point has established himself as a very strong offensive coach is because of some uncharacteristically bad play from the offensive line, particularly on the interior offensive line. For those who don't know, Coach QD usually has fantastically strong offensive lines. And this year he's had to put together a line that is probably below his standards, below what he is used to. He's playing Steve Wall and Arthur Harwell at the interior positions. Both are younger guys some developmental-style players, um, and that's usually not part of his style. And I think part of that is because of, one, talent generation that is being um, put into the league. There's not a whole bunch of top-quality guards being being created and being drafted every year, and the uh, the increase in valuation of, across the league for guard play. So, I mean, just... A couple, couple drafts ago, we saw that, what was it, four guards went in the top five or something? Was it something like that? I don't know. Three guards? I mean, uh, the point is, is guards are very, very highly valued. And uh, that could be the reason as to why <laughs> uh, QD is playing some, some players that might be beneath his standard. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't because he's still putting together an incredibly strong offense. If we're going strictly by points scored, Montreal has the seventh best offense in the league. Looking at success rate, they have the third best offense in the league. So this certainly isn't a team that you want to sleep on if you're a defensive coordinator. Um, very strong offense, really promising young quarterback in Gordon Davis. And I always trust Coach QD to put together a strong team. To be honest with you, I would have them as the favorites to win the division the AFC North. Uh, I, I just think that they have an easier schedule to finish out the season than Prospero does. It could be another situation where we have a very interesting Week 16 matchup between Prospero and Montreal. Uh, I, I do expect Montreal to win the next three games heading into the game with Prospero, whereas Prospero has a little bit tougher time. They have some tougher games leading up to that Week 16 game. Uh, particularly their matchup with the Dallas Cyberpunks in Week 14, even if that is a home, or despite the fact that that's a home game in Prospero, uh, Dallas is at the top of their game. That's a really tough team, and I have Dallas favored to win that game. So I think Montreal is the favorite to win the AFC North, but it could be a very interesting finish to the season depending on how these next three weeks go. Moving on, let's talk about the AFC South, and there isn't much to talk about here because Kanata has the division locked up. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think mathematically they have the division locked up. 
No, not not quite. Maybe. I don't know. The, the only team that would even be within striking distance of Kanata would be the North Franklin nullification. Uh, they're three and nine. Kanata is seven and five. So if Kanata lost out and North Franklin nullification won out, there would be a tie and we would go to tiebreakers. But I'm going to go out on the limb and I'm going to say that's not going to happen. I think Kanata is going to win this division quite easily. I mean, there are four games that there are four games in the lead and. Uh, looking at the rest of their schedule. So they they play North Franklin tomorrow. I would expect them to win that game. They play Chickschlub. So that's not a that's not a give me or a gimme. That's not a give me. That's not a gimme. Um, but I, I would expect Kanata to win that game as well. They play the Oklahoma City Eagles. I would expect them to win that game. And then they finish out the season with the Fort Wayne family. Uh, Coach Gypsy, I know that he has started playing some of his rookies, trying to get some XP bonus. I would expect them to win that game as well. I expect Kanata to win out. And looking at what, uh, looking at what Deep Route's giving me, the game agrees with me as well. They're favored in every single game for the rest of the season. They're four straight home games, which is incredible to end the season. Uh, they're favored by 17 against North Franklin. They're favored by 11 against Chickasaw, 11 against Oklahoma City, and they're favored by 25 against Fort Wayne. So, I really like what Coach Sajon's done with this team particularly their quarterback, Robert Gerhardt. He is in his second year, and I had him as the top quarterback in the class in, in the last draft class, and he's really been he's been playing up to that potential. He's thrown for 3,719 yards, 23 touchdowns, six interceptions, only as 86 quarterback rating. For me, I could probably attribute that to the amount of injuries that Kanata has been dealing with this season, particularly to their wide receiver core. Mark Williams, their top target, is injured. Phil Andrews, their second target, is injured. Terrence Bloom, their third target, is injured. And just looking at the rest of their their injury list, they have some really key players missing time. Michael Salas is out. He had a, he's been out for the last three weeks, and he has three more weeks to go due to a concussion. Phil, in, Phil Andrews has rest to heal with a pulled hamstring. Terrence Bloom has a pulled hamstring. Uh, William Carlos has a high ankle sprain. Mark Williams has turf toe. Uh, James Stalhut has broken ribs. Anthony Weaver has a pulled hamstring. They're, they're dealing with a lot of rest-to-heel injuries, which can be really frustrating because you really want to sit those guys to make sure that they're at the top of their game. But when they start mounting like that, that pressure really starts to build to play them, especially if you have three rest-to-heel injuries on your receiving core. I don't care who you are. If your top three targets go out, you are in some shit, Bubba. You're going to have to be playing some of those guys through their injuries. And that's not ideal because there's a higher percentage chance of them getting injured if you play them as rest to heal. And there is a slight, I think there's a 33% chance that they improve. And when I say improve, I mean they go from six weeks left to five weeks left. But it's just not a good outlook. You have a higher chance of them getting injured again. And then they have a very small chance to improve their situation. It's tough. It's really tough. So I, I like Gerhardt. I think that he has the potential to really settle in that golden zone, that Goldilocks zone of overall, where you're not having to pay him $10, 12000000 million. And he could be a, a long-term quarterback for Kanata. Um, one concern that I have with Kanata is the same concern that I have 
with San Francisco. How good are they actually? If you look at the combined record of their seven victories, their opponents have a combined record of 24 and 60. So we're, we're, we're running into another situation that uh, it, it really brings into the question, how good are you? For real, how good are you? They're playing in a very weak division, arguably arguably the worst division in the league. Um, there's a there's a league in the or the there's a division in the NFC that we'll talk about here in a minute that that is also really bad. But yeah, I mean, Kanata at seven and five has a four game lead on the division. The next team is three and nine, and then two and ten, two and ten. So. That, that's my main concern. I They're, they're going to win the division. They're going to be in the playoffs. And for the rest of the season, they just there's not really any games that's going to give us a good idea of how good Kanata is. North Franklin nullification, they're 3-9. and Chick-Shalab Rainbow Raptors, they're 7-5. and five. That's going to be the best indicator of how good, um, how good are they actually. But we've already talked about Chick-Shalab. There's some concerns about Chick-Shalab as well. Then there's the Oklahoma City Eagles. They're five and seven, and then the Fort Wayne family. They're two and ten. So we're not really going to learn much about Kanata over the next four weeks, but we will learn a bunch about Kanata in five weeks when the wild card starts. Currently, they are slated to play Oklahoma, and I would have to travel to Kanata. You know that I I, I thought I was on the way to play San Francisco again. That must have, I guess that changed. That's probably because of how, how good San Francisco is doing. Um, I guess the last time I looked, they were probably the, uh, they were probably a different seed. Maybe Kanata had a better record than them. And now that they have a better than Kanata, things changed up. Um, so interesting. Okay. So I am on pace to play Kanata. So we'll be able to get a better idea of how good they are if, if things continue panning out the way they are in the wild card whenever whenever Oklahoma travels to Kanata. But I do like the team. I like the team quite a bit. They're struggling with injuries, and that's really unfortunate because here in deep route, injuries are nowhere near what they are in real life. So when you get blasted with a bunch of injuries, it's really just its just bad luck. It's just bad rolls, man. And it feels like shit. It really does. But it's something you have to deal with. That's why you don't trot teams out of 46 players. You've got to try to have 53, 54 in order to make sure that you have the depth necessary to continue competing. couple things as we finish off this division. Kanata, as far as advanced metrics go, they have the 22nd best offense in the league. And when I say advanced metrics, I'm generally talking about success rate. So their success rate on the season is 38.16%. Yards per play is 4.53. Um, just to give you an idea of where that falls in the in the range, just so you can see the discrepancy, the top team in the league is the Verdin Vultures. They have a 50% success rate and a yards per play of 5.84. Uh, San Francisco, we already talked about them. Yards per play of 5.5, success rate of 49.1%. Um, so you can kind of see how what the discrepancy is there. Uh, going over to defense, they have the 23rd best defense in the league. They are giving up a success rate of 42, nearly 43%. Um, they're giving up a yards per play of 4.73. So, again, it brings into the question, how good are they? 
I think that they are moving in the right direction. Like I said, I, I really think that they're getting hammered with injuries. There's a, there's plenty of talent on the team. There's good receiving talent. I like Gerhart. Their offensive line is moving in the right direction. And I think this is a team that has enough young talent that should be panning out. But here in two or three seasons, there is not going to be a question of how good are they. It's going to be very evident how good they are. As far as this season goes, I think they are... I think they're one of the weaker playoff teams. That's simply because of youth and because of injuries. Otherwise, Coach Side John, I really like what you're doing over there. Kanata is moving in the right direction. You've got a very strong base. And once some of these young players start progressing, they start getting that XP bonus, Kanata is going to be back at the forefront of League 21 and contending for Super Bowls. So now we're going to be moving on to talk about the final AFC division. We're going to be talking about the AFC West uh, my home. <laughs> and we're going to look at the Dallas Cyberpunks. We're going to talk a little bit about the Oklahoma Outlaws. So Dallas is another team that needs no introduction. Coach PSU, Coach Williams, they have put together a fantastic team over there that is not only playing top-notch offense, but they're fucking playing top-notch defense. You bastards, why are you guys so good every single season? You know, it pisses me off. It really does. Last season, I had a... Listen, I, I I get it. Last season, I had my time. I beat you guys three times, and I relished it. Oh, it was beautiful. But this season, no, it, we're right back to where we were. Uh, Dallas is leading the division at 11-1. and one. They have locked it up. In order for them to lose the division, they would have to lose out. I would have to win out. Now, that is still in play. No, not really. It's not, it's not in play. It's not. We play tomorrow. So, yes, a victory for Oklahoma would be very beneficial for me winning the division, but they still, no, they're not losing out. They've got the division on lock. I'm going to be fighting for one of those last wild card spots. And looking at what Dallas does, Dallas does a really good job of squeezing the life force and the value out of every position that they can, particularly running backs. I've voiced my opinion on running backs, and my opinion is they are worthless. I hate them, and Dallas vehemently disagrees with me, and it's probably to my detriment that I don't agree with them. Or it's not that I don't agree with them, it's just to, I, don't, I don't do what they do. Um, Dallas loves to throw to their running backs, and it's very evident the impact that it has on their offense. Earlier this season, they traded for Roy Noman who is a fantastic receiving back out of Richmond. Uh, they already have Ronald Smits, who is strong in his own right, receiving. And then they have a carousel or a, a carousel of, of quarterbacks that they will roll with. Um, Daryl Smith is one of them. David Barlow, the grizzled veteran, is also still on the roster. Right now, Daryl Smith is injured, so David Barlow is, is getting the lion's share of those snaps. Um, they're just they're hard to beat. There's, not, there's no other way to put it. They're very hard to beat, a very efficient offense. They're, going to, they're not going to be bombing it down the field. You're not going to see them throwing 70-yard touchdowns on the regular. Um, they're just going to be getting, if it's third and eight, they're going to get six, and then they're going to get it to fourth and two. And then on fourth and two, they're going to get six. And then it's going to be first and ten, and then they're going to get eight. And then it's going to be second and two. And they're going to get three. I mean, it's just that is what they're going to do. They're going to march their happy little asses right down that field and score that touchdown. And then when you get on defense, you have a big fucking problem. 
you have a big fucking problem. I found that out in week four. Is that when we played? Week three, week four, our first matchup this season. Their defensive line is absolutely disgusting. Burton Greasebomb. Don't even get me started on Q's name generator. Burton Greasebomb. Steven Sutton. Leon Woody. Carrie Lou. They have fucking John Chindland, the rookie. It's ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. The amount of pressure that they're generating is absolutely fucking bonkers. And if you go look at the team stats, if you go look at where they're ranking as far as uh, sacks go, it's not going to give you the whole picture. They have 38 sacks on the season. Uh, that I actually have more sacks than them. I have 42 sacks. But it doesn't matter. I don't have any stats offhand that will say that they generate more pressure than me, but I believe they do. I believe they do. They, they have a better defensive line than I do. My defensive line is young. I have Nelson Fox, who's probably my top premier pass rusher. I have some young talent, Charlie Dykes. Uh, he's been playing well this season. Edgar Zuccarelli has been playing pretty well on top of that, but... Um, I don't have that veteran presence. All of those guys are veterans. They have XP bonus. They're already strong players in their own right. The, the, yeah, when you get on, <laughs> when you get on offense, and they're on defense, you are fucked. You're in big trouble. I mean, for success rate, when we talk about advanced metrics, Dallas has the top defense. If you go look at points allowed. Dallas has the top defense. They're giving up nine and a half points a game. They've given up 114 points over 12 games. What kind of shit is this? Oh, son of a bitch. Nine and a half points a game. That's like some fucking high school shit. No. Moral of the story, Dallas is really, really good. Uh, they're probably the favorite to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC. Um, just an immensely talented team. Mensely talented team. They have fantastic playbooks. When it really gets down to the nitty-gritty, their situational decisions are fantastic. Just a very tough team to beat. They have great talent, great playbooks. Yeah, they're great drafters. Over the, the team is fantastic. They're my pick to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC and continue the AFC West domination of, of this conference. Um I think the AFC West has been to every single Super Bowl since 2114. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the history books. 2114, 2113, whenever it was that I, maybe it was 2115. It's, it's, it's somewhere in that little, somewhere between 2113 and 2115. Um, Cause that was when I went to my first Super Bowl. I went to two straight and then Dallas went to four straight. And then I went to the one last year. It's, it's something like that. So I think they're the favorite. I think they're going to continue the, AFC West domination. Uh, they're my pick to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC. I'm not going to talk about the Oklahoma Outlaws very much. Um, this episode is already going long. I still have the other half of the league to talk about, and there's some really talented teams to talk about over there. Uh, this team is more or less the same team that you saw last year. I changed out Arthur Martell for Stanley Ruiz. He was, he's been the backup for six years. Um, he's playing fantastic playing fantastic football. He leads the league in completion percentage and yards, I think. So I'm very happy with his performance. He doesn't have the XP bonus that Arthur Martell had. So despite that, he's still playing really, really strong football. He's really he's positioned himself as a 
as an MVP candidate. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, James Wilson is having a fantastic season. Alvin Taylor, strong season. Joshua Wiggins, strong season. Offensive line has remained mostly healthy. Bobby Moros had to play some uh, had to play some duty with Donald Geisler getting injured, but overall. It's been a really good season. One player I want to highlight is Rich Bowers. Rich Bowers has been the starter at strong safety for the last, uh, this is his third season starting, and he has already tied the Outlaws franchise record for interceptions, which is 10. Um, He has four this season with a pick six. He had three the season before. He had three the season before that. Um, He has over 50 pass deflections. Um, And really, he's put himself in a position to fight for defensive player of the year. There's a, there's a safety from Kanata that is also probably is still leading that, that race. It's really, really close. Um, Rich Bowers has played fantastic football, and he's really gunning towards a new contract. All right, that's all I want to say. Uh, Oklahoma Outlaws were fighting for the last playoff spot. Dallas is, has the division on lock. They're my pick to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC. So now we're going to change gears, and we're going to go look at the NFC, the NFC East. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is the the division that I was talking about earlier where this is a really bad division. God damn it, folks. The... The 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 division leader is (laughs) 4-8. and 4-8, the goddamn Las Vegas Praetorians, they're 4-8. They're they're leading the division. Every single team in the division is 4-8. What in the absolute fuck? I mean, how, how does this even happen? <laughs> Four and eight. Oh, my gosh. To be honest with you, folks, I have no idea. I have no idea who the best team in this division is. It, it, to be honest with you, it might be Fran Mack. It might be the Leonia Lemurs. He's been doing things right. He's been focusing on the offensive line. His offense has improved this season. Um, he has the best defense. Out of the entire division, if you look at SRS, he has the best SRS out of the entire division. Fran Mack might be going to the damn playoffs. He might only be 6-10 and 10 doing it, but he's, he might be going to the damn playoffs. This division is sending somebody to the playoffs. I have no idea who it's going to be. Um, you, you have a couple of new coaches, and you said Gregory G is still... I mean, he's been in the league for three or four seasons, so I don't know what the threshold is for new coaches, but you have the Pennsylvania Stabby Squirrels. <laughs> Coach Strategy 9000, uh, he's a brand new coach to the league. Um, you have Niladar, West Lafayette, Boilermakers. They've, I like West Lafayette. I think that they've had a really good run here recently. I still think they're in a talented team. Um, this has been a tough season for them. And it's a, it's a season where they really could have taken advantage of the weakness of their division. And I expected them to win the division. And what it looks like happened was the was the injury gremlin came and got him. Ollie Williams, who is an absolute superstar. We've talked about Ollie Williams in, a, in past episodes. Freak. Absolute freak. He is out. Uh, Richard Tipre, I don't know how to say that name. He's also out. Starting quarterback. And these are no insignificant injuries. Ollie Williams was taken out in week six with a broken fibula. Uh, he's out for the season, more than likely, unless they get to the Super Bowl. Uh, their quarterback, Richard, he was taken out in week 10 with a concussion. Leonard Bergman, who is a, a an immensely talented receiver in his own right, he's their probably their second target when, when Ollie Williams is healthy. He has a high ankle sprain. So they're dealing with a lot of injuries. This is still a talented team. 
Just it seems like the the injuries have hit them at the most unfortunate spot. Um, so on, on a healthy roster, I would say that West Lafayette is the best team. But it really looks like as far as what's occurring on the field, Leonia is probably the best team right now, which feels crazy to say. But, I mean, they've been making they've been making good moves. I mean, they, I, I haven't had any issues with the moves that they've been making. They've lost five in a row. That is what is tough. They started off the season really, really hot. Um, I think at one point early on in the season, they had one of the best offenses in the league as far as success rate goes. And that's, that's, uh, that, that's since tapered off. They lost five in a row. That's really tough because they could have a death grip on this division if they would have just, I mean, I would say if they would if they if they were six and six, that's almost a death grip on the division, given the state of all the other teams. Um, so this is going to be an interesting end of the season. Uh, they're all going to have a couple more division games, and uh, actually they're going to have division games tomorrow, and then division games to end out the season. I I don't know what I'm predicting here, guys. <laughs> this is so bizarre. Um, I, I'm gonna say West Lafayette. I, th- I think West Lafayette's gonna take the division. I, th- I think they're gonna I think they're gonna continue their reign simply because Leonia, who it might be playing the at least according to SRS, they might be playing the best right now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how to break this down. Uh, the Pennsylvania, the, yeah, how about this? The Pennsylvania sca- Stabby Squirrels. They want. They're they're the only team in the division that has a uh, a recent win. They won today. All the other teams have losing streaks. So how about this? Strategy nine thousand. Pennsylvania Stabby Squirrels. They're winning the division. They're going to the playoffs. Final prediction. There we go. All right, we're gonna move on. We're gonna go to the NFC North. <laughs> Another new coach, Coach Shadows. Now, for those of you who don't know Coach Shadows, he is one of the greatest coaches of League 21 ever. I mean, he is he is a Hall of Fame coach. We've talked about him in a prior episode. The dude is a fantastic coach, and it's no fucking joke because he is already competing. He's 7-5, and five, and... Realistically, there's probably not much of a chance to to get into the wild card. The Washington Qs, the Richmond team, they both control the wild card spots at nine and three. So he would really, we'll, we'll take a look at his schedule, but he would need some help. Um, but uh, fantastic coach, the heart for revolution is back, and that is terrifying to see. Um, but at the top of this division, you have the Verden Vultures, Coach MMGI. I mean, just fantastic coach, putting together a really, really strong team. They're playing incredible offense. They have a strong defense. They're on a six-win streak. They're undefeated in the division. They're seven and one within the conference, and that's something I really want to point out there. Seven and one within the conference. There's been a lot of uh, talent being infused into the AFC. You have myself. You have Williams and PSU at Dallas. You have Coach Sijon taking over in the AFC South. You have Coach Baltimore and Coach QD in the AFC North. And then you have Coach Jaws, <coughs> excuse me, Coach Jaws, Spartan, even Yoakum, who's put together some some pretty scary Chick teams. There's been some talent infusion as far as coaching in the AFC, but 
I still think the NFC has the has the better coaching lineup. You have Coach MMGI. Now you have Coach Shadows. You have Coach Minus the Mat, Trantor, Shelton, Eagle Playa, JRD. I mean, there's some really tough teams, really great coaches in the NFC. And Verdin is 7-1. Verdin is 7-1. and one, And their only loss is to River Sticks. Can you blame them? I mean, we've all lost to River Sticks at some point. It's just an inevitability. So this is an incredibly strong team. And we've talked, we've mentioned it a couple times in this episode already. They have the top offense in the league. They have the most efficient offense in the entire league. Now, there was something that happened today to really keep your eyes on. Harry Gothier, their starting quarterback, broke his fibula. He is done for the season. So make sure we keep an eye on that. Um, absolutely devastating injury for the top offense in the league. Harry Gothier was a he's a fifth year fifth year quarterback, having a phenomenal season. Ninety seven quarterback rating, twenty six touchdowns, five interceptions. They're going to turn to Ralph Long, who is a rookie. He's a fifth round pick out of Ball State. He's received some playing time this season. Uh, he's attempted one hundred and thirty six passes, sixty four percent completion, eight hundred and twenty eight yards, six touchdowns, one interception. He's logged a 92 quarterback rating on the season. He had a phenomenal preseason, 116 rating in the preseason. So they are they're in talented hands. I'm not necessarily going to say they're in good hands. You have a rookie quarterback stepping in from a small school, and uh, they really have a meat grinder of a schedule coming up. So tomorrow, they, they are, they're, they're going to be able to at least ease Ralph in. They play the Blue Bay Bonk Dogs tomorrow, but after that, they really hit the meat of their schedule. They play Richmond, they play Freight Train, and then they play the Hartford Revolution. So uh, get a little bit of a warm-up game for Ralph, get him settled into the offense, and get him ready for, for playing for playing some of these big dogs as, as they end out the season. One thing is, is I, I'm always going to trust in and coach him. He's put together some fantastic teams. This isn't going to be the first time that he's put together an offense with a small school quarterback back in 2107 and 2108. I know we're talking about ancient history here, but Verdin was running out Eddie Cobbs at quarterback, a second-round pick from Virginia Union, and he played well. He threw for 25 touchdowns, over 4,000 yards in 2107, and he repeated that performance in 2108, over 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions in, uh, in 2108, 2107, 2108, just to correct myself there. So, he has experience with small school quarterbacks, even just last season with Labetta. He had to put Labetta out there for a significant amount of time. Labetta, not necessarily a small school quarterback, but not from a, a, a big power school. Labetta is still on the team. He's a backup quarterback. He's from Illinois, and he had significant playing time last season. Threw for over 2,000 yards, 13 touchdowns. Coach M has an offensive system that is going to work for the player. He's going to mold that system around the player that he currently has. So is this a devastating injury? Yes. Losing Gothier, a fantastic quarterback, that's going to be tough on any offense. But I expect Coach M to make adjustments in order to make the offense work for Ralph Long. But still, you'd, you'd hate to see it, especially at this time of the season as you're really closing, as you're closing everything out and you have a really, I mean, just murderer's row of of last four games for at least three of them with with freight train richmond and hartford um 
just just really tough. But thankfully, on the defensive side of the ball, very strong. Sean Rachi is still plugging away over in Verdun. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out on offense. Uh, and, and this is definitely going to be a, a divisional race to pay attention to because now as we switch over to the Hartford Revolution and the Washington Qs, you have a couple teams that are really – they've had the door open for them. Um, maybe not so much the, the Hartford Revolution, but Washington Qs for sure. Um, looking at their looking at their final four games, they have a much easier time than Verdun does. So they play Hartford tomorrow. Uh, it's a home game, so at least they're going to stay home in Washington playing Hartford. Uh, and then they have Midwest Minions at home again. And then they have the Nashville Steelers and the Blue Bay Bonk Dogs. So is that an easy schedule? No, I wouldn't say that at all. Again, we're going to talk about Hartford here in just a minute. That's a, that's a very talented team with a very talented coach. Midwest Minions, again, it's a very talented team with a very talented coach. Nashville is always one of those teams that, 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 that is scary. Um, and then Blue Bay is, is Blue Bay. They're a perennial bottom dweller, so not as worried about them. But it is an easier schedule than what Verdun has. And so... Washington really has a golden opportunity here to to seize the division. Um, Again, it, it, it's it's going to depend on Ralph Long's play. That's the key over in Verdun. But Washington really does have have a great opportunity to win the division here, and they're not going to be able to steal a bye. Um, they're not going to be able to get a, a a second or a first seed. Those are those are pretty much already locked up by freight train and Reddick. But they would be able to steal a division title and and get into the playoffs and make some noise. Washington has a, talent, a talented team in their own right. They're playing Edwin Little at quarterback. He is from Colorado. He's more of your conventional drop-back pocket passer. He doesn't have a lot of wiggle to him. He's not going to be running around and improvising. So making sure that he is protected well is incredibly important. Washington has done a good job of that. He's thrown for over 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, 7 picks. He's got an 85 quarterback rating. Um, one thing to keep in mind for Washington is I believe that they are still using default playbooks. So a lot of very specific situations that, that Coach Foster could cook up and uh, create advantages and, and, and get mismatches on, Washington is, isn't utilizing. They are using default playbooks. I could be wrong on that. I know at one point they were, um, which makes it even more impressive that Washington has been able to put together the the, the string of uh, of successful seasons that they have. Um, they've been known traditionally to be a very strong defensive team. Still the case. Um, they're still probably they're skewed more defensively than they are offensively. Uh, if you look at points allowed, they are the tenth best defense in the league. So still a very strong defensive team. They are towards the top as far as sacks go. Um, they have seven interceptions on the season. Just, just a very strong team. One thing I do want to point out really quick is earlier I was giving some statistics on my pass rush and Dallas's pass rush, and I think I gave a, some, statistics, some statistics on other teams. Those were the wrong statistics. And it's because, so the team stats page is, is broken, more or less, but you can get around it. Uh, and in order to look at current year, I have it saved as a favorite, the, the URL. So all I have to do is click on that, the, click on my favorites button, and then I need to go up into the URL and change the year. I forgot to change the year. So I do not have more sacks than, than Dallas. Um, just wanted to point that out. 
my stats are incorrect. So, anyways, going back to Washington, they they have one of the top defenses in the league, one of the best pass rushing teams in the league, or one of the best pass defenses in the league. Um, overall, just a very very strong team defensively, and they have enough firepower on offense to really do some damage. So, to be honest with you, I I think my pick to win this division is is Washington. I think Washington is going to overtake the division from Verdin. Uh, now it's really going to depend on how tomorrow goes. This, this matchup with Hartford is really going to be important because Verdin's going to win tomorrow. Verdin is going to beat Blue Bay, but it gets, it gets really murky after that. They play Richmond. I think Richmond will beat them. They play Freight Train. I think Freight Train's going to beat them. So over the next three games, (laughs) excuse me, I think that... I think Verdin is going to go one and two. So, if Washington can go, if, if Washington can win tomorrow, they have a really good chance, in my mind, to steal the division from Verdin. Now, it's going to be close, but they just have, they have better matchups. And I'm going to ride those better matchups to a prediction of Washington Q's winning the division and marching into the playoffs. So uh, the final team of this division that I want to talk about is the Hartford Revolution. And even though I, I don't think they have much of a chance, I, I really don't think they have a chance at all of, of winning the division and getting into the playoffs. But Coach Shadows deserves a little bit of airtime. Hartford is running out the clone of Microsoft CEO and technology mogul Bill Gates from Pearl River Community College. I think that's a made-up community college. Uh, he was a first-round pick at that. Wow, Pearl River Community College pushing out a first-round pick. Yeah, this is some kind of weird, bizarro, fucking alternate universe where Bill Gates has cloned himself and turned himself into an athlete, and he's turned himself into a black man. Um, and he decided to go to Pearl River Community College where he is now playing for the Hartford Revolution, and he's playing well. 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, one interception. Uh, doesn't look like he's played all season. He only has 253 pass attempts, 101 quarterback rating. Um, there are some protection concerns over in Hartford. So it's his first season back. I'm not worried about it. I think that he's going to be able to put together a um, – I think he's going to be able to put together a, a strong team and really build, build around Bill. <laughs> he's going to be able to build around Bill. Just get him some protection and try to get some youth at those receiving positions. He's running out Frank Diedrich and Juan Petrello, who are strong receivers in their own rights, but they're also they're veterans. They're old. Juan Petrello's in his 13th season. Diedrich is in his ninth season. Um, so getting some youth in the receiving room there would, would really help. Uh, and once that happens, I, I think Hartford's going to have a – a, a strong offense defensively I think they're moving in the right they're, they're they're moving in the right direction they have some youth on the defensive line Michael Rookwood is a fifth year player Ernest Flannery is in his third year they have Jeffrey Ferrer Ferrer he's a rookie um and he's he's good enough to be contributing uh Kenneth Holland is a premier pass rusher but he is a bit long in the tooth it's in his 11th season but then he has Sun Shin as the other defensive end in his third year, has a rookie, William Cruz out there. Good corners. Yeah, defensively, Hartford is strong. Um, I think they need a little bit of youth on offense, and once they get that, they can really put together some uh, 
they'll be able to put together some some success again. Welcome back, Coach Shadows. Glad to have you back. Now we're down to the last two divisions in the entire league, and each division has two teams that I want to talk about. Um, starting with the NFC South, the freight train. You know, it's with a team as good as they are, there should be plenty to talk about, and there probably is. Um, but we know who the freight train is. We know who they are. And Coach Matt has ascended from rising coach to just flat out one of the best coaches in the league. Freight train is undefeated again through 12 weeks. They went 16-0 and last season, and it really looks like they're trying to march on and go 16-0 and again. Now, they have a couple more division games, and they, they play in a tough division. They play in a division with River Sticks and Nashville and, hell, even Carlsbad. And Carlsbad is, is also a brand-new coach, um, G, Coach Gino. And, uh, I mean, they're 6-6. Six and six, So he stepped right in and, and, is, uh, and is really competing. So, but, yeah, coach, coach Matt, with what he's building over there in freight train, I, I've, I've gushed over the, 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 the team before, and this is no different. They're, they're, they're just so well-ran. They're such a fantastic team. Daniel Pyatt has put together another fantastically efficient season. 67% completion percentage, 2,400 yards, 28 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's only been sacked five times, 105 quarterback rating. And one thing that, that Freight Train does is they platoon their quarterbacks. Um, and and it, there's an incentive to this as you're getting XP bonus for your young guys. So if you, if you have a game that you really think that you're going to win in and you can play some backups in, there's really some incentive to do so so you can get an XP bonus. And so what really puts it into perspective is that those stats that I just named off for Daniel Pyatt, he's done it yet. Those are, that's in seven games. He's done that in seven games. He averages four touchdowns a game, 353 yards per game. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. They're the best team in the league. I think they are the best team in the league. Um, and they, no, this is where it gets tough. I think that in the NFC, it's going to get a little murkier. Um, I was going to say that they are my choice to go to the Super Bowl. I think the AFC, or sorry, I think the NFC conference game is going to be Reddick and Freight Train. And I don't, I really don't know who's going to win that. That's a behemoth matchup between Coach Shelton, Coach Matt. Um, that's a really tough one to try to predict. We'll get into that at, at some other point. Um, this episode's already hour and six. This is the longest episode I've ever recorded. Um, this has been fun, though, just talking about each team. But Freight Train, fantastic team. It's just they have talent everywhere. Every single place they have talent. By advanced metrics, they're one of the top offenses. By advanced metrics, they're one of the top defenses. You just you've got to be on your A game to be playing against the to be playing against and beating Freight Train. So Freight Train, they're my choice to go to the NFC Conference game. That's once we get to that point, I'll make a prediction. But I think they're going to be there along with Reddick. Um, just fantastic team, wonderful team that coaches uh, Coach Matt's put together. I want to touch on River Sticks. You can't ever overlook River Sticks. This year is no exception. They're eight and four. They're not currently in the playoffs, but you can never count them out of making the playoffs. 
Um, I think as far as when, when it comes to situational football, uh, Tran probably has some of the best situational playbooks and play calls in the entire league. Fantastic. I mean, if it comes down to it being a close game, there's, there's really two teams that I don't want to see, and that's River Sticks and that's Dallas. So um, Gerald Calhoun, if you look at his stat line, it's not particularly impressive, but River Sticks is known for having an incredibly strong defense and big, physical, strong, talented wide receivers, good offensive line. You're not really going to get a whole bunch of pressure on River Sticks. Um, and one thing that they, they are particularly known for generally are big physical corners and Joel or Joel Cusmano is an, a wonderful example of that six foot five 221 pound corner the man presses you he's going to press your soul into another fucking dimension they that, that's just what River Sticks does big strong fast defenses and uh they're not in the playoffs at the moment, but they really have potential. I think they have a great opportunity to get in. You look at their game tomorrow, they play Freight Train. I, I think that Freight Train's going to beat River Sticks. Uh, but outside of that, they play the Pennsylvania Stabby Squirrels, the Blue Bay Bonk Dogs, and the Nashville Steelers. I think they're going to win all three of those games. So I'm saying that River Sticks is going to finish 11-5, and and they are currently fighting with the Richmond team and the Washington Qs slash the Verdun Vultures for that last wild card spot. Um, particularly, I, I think I, I really do think you could see a situation where Washington steals the division from Verdun and River Sticks steals the wild card from Verdun. So Verdun could go from being 10-2 and top of their division to completely missing the playoffs. Um, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities because I think that I think it's almost a lock that River Sticks is at least going to finish 11-5. and five. They have a chance to beat Freight Train tomorrow. That would put them at 12-4, and four, obviously. But I think the worst you're going to see is River Sticks at 11-5, and five, and that is enough to, to, really be, to really be competing for a playoff spot. You might see a situation where in order to get into the wild card this year in the NFC, you have to be 12-4. and four. That is nuts. Absolutely crazy. The, the, the conference is incredibly strong over there, but... 11-5 might be good enough to do it, given the fresh injury to Harry Gothier over in Verdun. We'll just have to see how that plays out. But River Sticks, they're never a team you want to see because you're, you're generally not going to blow them out. And in close games, they are, they are very tough to beat. Moving on to the final division, we're going to be talking about the Richmond team and the Reddick Devils. And Reddick has put together a, uh, or they've really put forth an unlikely MVP candidate. I say unlikely because generally you're going to see the MVP go to a quarterback. But David Bauckham is really making his case for an MVP award. He currently leads the entire league in the fame metric. He has 292 fame. And that's because of the absolutely ridiculous season that he's been putting up. 115 catches on 180 targets. So the, the, let's talk about the efficiency there for a second. 64% of the passes thrown his way he's caught. He only has two drops. He's averaging 14 yards a catch, 135 yards a game, which puts him at 1,630 yards on the season, 18 touchdowns, 87 first downs. He has put together a strong case to win the MVP. 
Um, really, in the MVP in, in the MVP race, you're going to see David Bauckham, Gerald Conway, and Stanley Ruiz is there as a kind of I would say a dark horse at this point. Um, we'll see how the advanced we'll, we'll see how the actual voting comes out. It's not fame that's used to determine the MVP. There's a there's a stat called approximate value that's calculated by some of the statisticians here in discord and within deep route so that's going to be the official voting we'll see how that comes out i would imagine david bauckham is going to be really high on that list Um, i wouldn't be surprised if he just outright wins mvp really ridiculous season and i mean coach shelton is is right up there with with the likes of tran with the likes of shadows he's he's one of the coach baltimore he's one of the greatest coaches in in deep route history really um especially league 21 history and he's putting together a a season he has 433 points for and 183 points against so he has i mean just off of a quick glance that's going to be the second ranked defense in the league is that the top ranked offense does he have, does he have the best offense freight train has scored two more points than him so yeah he has the second offense second defense uh, the advanced metrics are going to have him very highly ranked as well. Fantastic season by Shelton. And it shows, I mean, he's 11-1. and one. Um, And as far as the rest of the season goes, so there's a mammoth matchup tomorrow. Richmond and Reddick are, are going to be playing tomorrow. It looks like Reddick is Reddick's currently a nine-point favorite, but Richmond's a team you just never really can. You can never count them out. They're always good enough to be, to be – uh, keeping you on your toes. And then they play Blue Bay, they play Pennsylvania, and then they finish off the season with Midwest. Midwest is also another team that's that's usually good enough to, to provide some scares. So uh, no, I don't think there's any issues with that schedule. I don't think they're in any danger whatsoever of losing the division. Uh, I think they're going to win the division. I have them in the conference championship game with Freight Train. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see how the how the playoffs work out they're going to be the the second seed so they get a bye they get to miss the wild card and uh i think anybody that comes out of the wild card is, is going to be able to they're going to be able to beat them so fantastic team and i think that i think coach shelton has done a wonderful job at masking some of eddie rich's deficiencies eddie rich is the quarterback for reddick uh, he's a fifth-round pick out of Arizona. He's been in the league since 2117, and uh, he has some—I mean, he has some major mechanical deficiencies. He's not a particularly great athlete. Um, doesn't have a super strong arm. He's accurate. Uh, he, he knows what to do with the ball. He's good at uh, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads. He's, he can process that information quickly, but his footwork is—he has a tendency to have really sloppy footwork. That's something that's just, at this point, it's not going to be corrected. So I do think that if somebody can get after the quarterback, I'm looking at a team like Dallas, for instance. Richmond is another team that that can really get after the quarterback. We'll have to see how the game pans out tomorrow. If you can get after the quarterback, you have a good chance of really riling him up and forcing him into a bad throw. His His base gets off center. He doesn't follow through, and he can throw some errant passes. Um Footwork in deep route is an accuracy modifier, so low footwork can lead to some uh, inaccurate rolls. But obviously at this point, it, it hasn't been a huge issue. He's thrown for 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, 98 quarterback rating, over 3,400 yards. 
Uh, he's played phenomenal football. But if there's any hole to point out, it's that if a pass rush can get after Eddie Rich, you can expose some of those deficiencies and give yourself a better chance of winning. So just make sure that your front four are fantastic because the one thing about Reddick is their, their offensive line isn't, isn't stellar. It's a strong offensive line, but looking particularly at William Jones, he's a young player. He was a first-round pick in last year's draft, 21-20. Um, and he has been he's been off the field when they throw the ball. He's been a, pretty much a run-only tackle. Uh, he's been on, in on 324 run plays. He's only been in on 49 pass plays, and that's because of his first step. He has 60 first step, but... Now, with the injury to Douglas Singletary, unless, unless Shelton makes some changes, William Jones is now going to be out there whenever they're throwing the ball, too. So, playing primarily right tackle, if you have a left defensive end that is particularly talented, you might be able to find a mismatch against William Jones. And one thing that, that we seem to believe about deep route is that pass rush reads are read from right to left. So that's why your left defensive end is typically typically going to have more stats, more counting stats than your right defensive end because of the way the pass rush read works. That's not confirmed. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the code. That's just something that, that many of us believe. So if you have a strong left defensive end, put him up over William Jones, you might be able to exploit a mismatch there as long as Shelton doesn't make any, <coughs> excuse me, doesn't make any changes, which he very well might. Finally, we're going to talk about Richmond. And again, this isn't a team that needs much introducing. Gerald Conway has been an MVP candidate for like the last six seasons. They're the reigning Super Bowl champs, and uh, they're just they're putting together another strong season. Gerald Conway has cemented himself as another MVP candidate this season. Uh, Chris Hoff Pavier, interesting wide receiver. He has been a wonderful target for for Richmond this season. Um, Eighty-eight catches. 1,012 yards, nine touchdowns, and small school guy, and, and a small guy too. Interestingly enough, he's six foot, 369 pounds. And so that was a major concern for several coaches in the draft uh, was his size. They were worried about injury concerns. Now, he never had any injury concerns necessarily at Northwest Missouri State, but you also have to look at the kind of talent that he was going up against playing at Northwest Missouri State. He wasn't going up against top talent. So, with the physicality of deep route and the just increase in the level of athletes you're going to be playing, that was a major concern. Um, but it hasn't really, hasn't really, I mean, nothing's happened so far. He played 15 games last season. This year, he's been the top target and he's held, he's handled the workload completely fine. You look at the running attack, they have one of the stronger running attacks in the league. Um, Jerry Jaramillo, Jaramillo, <laughs> Jaramillo, Jaramillo, Jaramillo. I don't know how you want to pronounce that. Uh, 794 yards. He has eight touchdowns on the season, 4.3 yards per carry. Per carry. So the, the efficiency's there. No fumbles. No fumbles. Really, really good. I mean, that's that's wonderful to see. Um, so strong running attack, strong offensive line. You look at their defensive line, and you see a guy like Julian Holden, who um, – is putting together a, a, a fantastic season. He has 12 tackles for loss, nine sacks, 
undersized defensive tackle. He's six foot five, two hundred and eighty nine pounds. So he's he's a, he's a slender, undersized defensive tackle, but he's very strong with a great motor, great footwork. He's quick off the line, um, and he's turned himself into a premier pass rushing threat for for Richmond. Um, you look at their defensive ends, and a guy like Herbert Falco really stands out. Six four, three hundred eleven pounds. He's a massive defensive end. Uh, he has ten sacks on the season two force fumbles. So this this is a really strong pass rushing team and I really don't think any of their playoff hopes are are in danger. They have uh, they don't have necessarily an easy schedule. So they have Verdin and then they have Reddick coming up. Um so those are their next two games, Verdin and Reddick, and then after that they play West Lafayette and Austin. So they could finish the season two and two, which would put them at eleven and five. Um, I, I think they're going to beat Verdin. I really do. I hate picking on Coach M. That's just that's such a tough way to end the season, and and putting out a fresh young quarterback like Ralph Long, you're, you're really throwing him to the wolves. Um, so I I think there's going to be some some rookie struggles there. I think Richmond will beat Verdin. Um, and so I, I see Verdin, or sorry, I see Richmond finishing out 12 and four, 11 and five, I think is their base. I think that's, that's the minimum that they're going to finish out at. Um, but I, I think 12 and four is, is very much in the cards. So, wow, guys, long episode, an hour and 21 minutes. I'm sorry that it went so long. I usually try to keep these around 45, 50 minutes. It's been two weeks since I made any material. And so it was really hard to try to come up with something to talk about. You know, because usually I'll try to play off of what we spoke about last week. And there won't be so much material to cover. And so I didn't really know what to go off of this week since I hadn't made any material in, in so long. I didn't know what to talk about. And so I just decided to break down each division and talk about how they're performing this season. So I, I truly hope you enjoyed this. Again, these are always very fun for me to make. Um, I always enjoy them. Just a reminder, I'm getting married next week and then the week after that, I should be going on my honeymoon, hopefully as long as my uh, COVID test comes back negative. Um, so we'll probably run into a situation where I'm gone for the next two weeks. Uh, but as soon as I get back and get settled back in, episodes will be pumped out again and uh, content will be more continuous, more consistent. So thank you so much for listening to this. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I'll talk to you soon.